Turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to the book of Psalms, specifically to Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Last Sunday night, I believe this was read to open the service, but tonight it will be our main text. And out of this text, there is one verse in particular that I want to spend the majority of our time emphasizing. All the rest of Psalm 145 will simply be that which exposits, if you will, this one verse. Psalm 145, in the order of how all of the Psalms are set forth in this book, is the last of all of David's Psalms. And interestingly enough, even though many of his Psalms and so many of the other Psalms in this book, they encourage us to praise the Lord. This one, Psalm 145, is the only one that has in sacred text as the title that it is a psalm or a song of praise. This is the only psalm that is inspired through biblical text as a song of praise. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David has composed here in this psalm a glorious hymn of adoration and worship that has as its singular focus the supremacy of God. And specifically, the supremacy of God in his dealings with men. It is a hymn that rivets our attention to the greatness of God through the proclamation that all of his works and all of his acts are unmatched and unparalleled. Everything that exists, exists only because he has made them. Therefore, in their design and composition, they exist to do one thing, to glorify him through their existence, in their purpose, and in all of their life activity. God standing supremely above and over all that he has made. And therefore, it being right that everything submit and surrender to his majesty and superiority. Indeed, as we will see here in this psalm, everything, everything looks to God alone for their sustenance and provision. For even the most basic of necessities and needs. Therefore, everyone and everything must reserve and offer unto him the highest and the truest and the heartiest of praise. 
for he alone is worthy of it. If I could sum up the entire message tonight right here at the beginning, let me say this. Our God sits supreme in the heavens. He does here on earth whatever he pleases. Therefore, all peoples must give him praise. In the customs and traditions of the Jewish liturgy, Psalm 145 was to be recited in full at least three times a day. In fact, even to this day, you might find those that are orthodox practicing Jews and they will recite Psalm 145 three times throughout the day. Psalm 145 is an everyday psalm. A song of praise that should flow from our hearts continuously and one in which we rehearse over and over and over again, both to ourselves and to those that are around us and even to God himself, that he is glorious and majestic and sovereign and supreme. And that our entire dependency is solely on him. So to this end, I invite you to read with me Psalm 145. Follow along with me as I read and pay careful attention to how David focuses on the supremacy of God. This is a song of praise of David. and He sings, I will extol you. My God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works. I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom 
And your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand. And satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Father, what can we add to these words? Words which have stood the test of time and of men. But God, you are worthy to be praised in all things. So I pray that as we spend these next moments extolling the glory of you and of your name, that you would be pleased with our expression of worship to you tonight through both the preaching and the attentiveness that we give to your holy word. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we've read through Psalm 145, I'm sure that you notice that there are many beautiful expressions of God's attributes. Indeed, Psalm 145, all by itself, seems to want to give us a Reader's Digest version, if you will, of the attributes of God some of which we've even looked at over these past six weeks. His holiness is mentioned in this text. His wrath is his love. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, his goodness, they are all mentioned in this psalm, this hymn of praise. Yet in this text, anchoring all of these expressions of God's attributes and then exploding outward all expressions of praise, there is a statement that should have immediately arrested our attention when we came across it. It is a statement that is so succinct and so concise that even a small child can memorize it quickly and repeat it. Constantly. 
In this psalm, all other descriptions of God and his workings among men are traced back to this statement. And all praise that is offered unto the Lord is directly related to this statement. This statement is profoundly true in the highest sense. And we see it in verse 3. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. That statement reverberates throughout everything that David says for these 21 verses. Great is the Lord. With as simple of a statement that this is about God, I Don't believe that we pause and consider this enough. All that is in God, in his essence and in his being, is excellent. And far exceeds the boundaries that are placed upon others and their greatness. And that no matter just how grand and intimidating any individual may appear, God is far more superior than they will ever be. Because our God is enthroned in the heavens. And as such, power and might are solely His to possess. And with this firmly within his grasp, no one can stand against him. He is the ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations. It is remarkable as you read through the history of the kings of Israel and of Judah. That any time a king stands to pray before the Lord. Almost always they begin their prayers with expressions of just how great God is. They appeal to his greatness in what they are petitioning. And then they often will even close their prayers by again rehearsing back to God that he is great. This sets them apart. As the people of God. For all other nations. Express. Pride and pleasure in themselves. But the people of God do not look. To give accolades unto themselves. But rather they express to God. Just how great he is. Above all other things. From time to time, though, there are some of the heathens that are confronted with the greatness of God. And I think we see this in the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter four. You remember the story of Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest kings to ever live on the earth. What an extraordinary figure, a ruler over one of the greatest of all of the empires ever established here on earth. Nebuchadnezzar saw some amazing things that God did. 
Remember, he even took three of God's men and because they refused to bow before what he thought was his supremacy, he threw them into the fiery furnace. And then while they were in that furnace, he beheld a fourth man and it terrified him. So he withdrew those men from that fiery furnace and realizing that their God had saved and redeemed and delivered them, he declared and made a decree that any people, nation or tongue that speaks anything offensively against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. That's one way of demanding that God receive the highest praise. Threaten them with severing their arms and their legs from their body. But even Nebuchadnezzar himself did not pay heed to his own exhortation to always praise the greatness of God. Because as you move into chapter 4, we find that Nebuchadnezzar begins to look around him at everything that he has built, everything that he has made. And his heart being lifted up with pride, he begins to say, look at all that I have done. But no sooner do these words come out of his mouth, than Nebuchadnezzar is put out to pasture. He becomes an insane lunatic with wild hair and Claws that scratch at the ground as he forages for food from the earth. But when he finally comes back to his senses, he records what happens and he records the account of his abasement with two expressions of high praise for the almighty God. Look at what he says in Daniel chapter 4. He begins his account in verse 2, by saying, it seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. He then tells the story of how he had a dream, and then his heart was lifted up with pride, and he lost his mind. Then when he, re when he received his sanity back, it says that Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes, verse 34, toward heaven. And he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting Dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but God does according to his will in the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, What have you done? It is wise. That kings and rulers not forget the supremacy of God. The last time I, I spoke in June on the holiness of God, I think I mentioned my particular fascination with 
the British monarchy and crown. And it, it, it's a real fascination. In fact, I'm, I'm currently reading a, a new book that was recently published entitled The Last King of America. It's a 784-page, I think, biography of King George III, the king that was over uh, the United Kingdom during the American Revolution. It's a brilliant read. But in addition to my fascination of the British monarchy, I, one of my other fascinations are all of the grand churches and cathedrals that are scattered across the British landscape. In fact, I was recently watching a documentary of many of these majestic places of worship and how they were designed to pull the eye upward toward the heaven and how the architect wanted those that walked in, the parishioner, to almost feel lost in that space as if they are diminutive and small in comparison. I've actually stood in the center of an enormous European cathedral and you do feel incredibly small as those thick walls rise and the spires and dome dominate above you. But in addition to this, I also love music. Not just any music, but particularly I love majestic music. Gia was driving with me in the car tonight to church and she asked if we could play some music. And so I put on some music and it was majestic music. Big organs. Loud brass instruments, rolling timpanies, crashing cymbals, and enormous choirs. This type of music is unbelievable to me. So when you combine all of these three fascinations of mine, royalty and cathedrals and music into one, I can get the chills. And one of the things that, fat, that I find fascinating about the modern British monarchy, even to this day, is that so often during national moments of commemoration and thanksgiving, you will find the queen and her family gathered inside one of these magnificent cathedrals. And during the course of the service, there are readings from Scripture, there are prayers that are offered, there is an attempt at a sermon or a homily, but then, sprinkled throughout the service, there are hymns that are sung. Good hymns. Rich hymns. Deeply theologically and biblically sound hymns. And as you're watching these events, it is amazing. You'll hear the blast of a trumpet herald and then the pipe organ joins, and then the percussion crashes, and the assembly rises. And it is an eclectic assembly, full of politicians and famous and maybe even infamous people. Politicians, sports figures, actors, lords and ladies, princes and princesses, anyone that is lucky enough to get an invitation to attend one of these events, but then there is none other there than the queen herself. And what is remarkable that is that as they all stand, they actually all sing. 
Their lips are literally moving in accordance with the words of the music. And whether they know what they are saying and singing or not, every one of them is declaring through these hymns the supremacy of God. It is unique and interesting to watch a reigning monarch sing, rejoice, the Lord is king. Praise to the Almighty. I mean, many of the songs that we sung tonight, I've literally watched with my own eyes the Queen of England sing. Because there is one that is higher than she. My friends, the supremacy of God is such that even the mightiest of creatures here on earth There is an infinite gulf that separates them from any claim of greatness. From that of the claim of the Almighty. For God in his being is eternal. His existence is indisputable. His glory is inimitable. His sovereignty is incontestable. His majesty is incomparable. His mind is incomprehensible. His power is invincible. And his influence over everything, indomitable. In a word, God is great. Even if we were to take all of the world and all of the universe, the whole of the cosmos, and we were to put them in the balance, on the scales, against that of the Almighty, we would find that under the weight of God, they are nothing. All of the created order in comparison to the creator would be nothing more than a small handful of dust, fine dust at that. Isn't that what the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 40? Behold, the nations, verse 15, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and they're regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Behold, he lifts up the islands like fine dust. Even Lebanon is not enough to burn, nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are regarded by him as less than nothing and meaningless. Verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits. Above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. It is he who reduces rulers to nothing. Who makes the judges of the earth meaningless. Scarcely have they been planted. Scarcely have they been sown. Scarcely has their stock taken root in the earth. But God merely blows on them and they wither and the storm carries them away Like stubble. To whom then. Will you liken me. 
that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. God sits supremely over and above all that he has made. All things that God has made are, yes, lovely and beautiful, and they do clamor for our attention. I'll never forget the first time I drove through that tunnel, and when you came out on the other side, you saw that magnificent scene of the Yosemite Valley stretched out before you. What an extraordinary image. I don't think there's anything like it. And unfortunately, I think a lot of Californians have not even experienced that. It is extraordinary. It literally will take your breath away. Just the magnificence of that scenery. But God is infinitely more lovely and beautiful than all of that. The things which God has made, while indeed spectacular, should do nothing but also pull our gaze upward into the heavens and the direction of His glorious beauty and supremacy. The greatness of His might and power far surpassing that of any human energy and effort. Which is why the psalmist back in 145 continues in verse 3 by saying that his greatness is unsearchable. That's another way of saying that the greatness of God is so profound you will never fully know it all. It is so wide, so vast, so deep. So broad, you'll never know just how big God is. I remember reading not too long ago about a new telescope that has just been thrown up into the sky. And from that telescope, men are able to see even further into the Cosmos than they have ever seen before. And the images that are coming back from that are absolutely astounding. Yet it brings more questions than provides answers. They still cannot find the end of the cosmos. The reason being. Because God is supreme over all that he has made. And the more that we study the richnesses of what he has made, the more we realize that there is that much that we don't know about him. I mean, if you want a lesson on just how unsearchable and unfathomable God's greatness is, go talk to Job. Remember that guy? We won't get into his whole story, but so much of It is filled with him wrestling with questions, wondering how God or why God allowed what happened to him to happen. Actually, he's really wrestling with the sovereignty of God, the the mind and the will 
and the intentions of God that cannot be thwarted. But he's struggling to comprehend all of this. His, his friends come along and they try to give him counsel. And actually some of their counsel is actually pretty good. It's just not to the right guy at the right time. And so after everyone says their peace, Job finally turns to the Lord and asks that God explain himself to him. And you know how Job is answered by God in regards to his questions of his sovereignty? God absolutely buries Job with his supremacy. That's how he answers questions on his sovereignty. He elevates himself that much higher. The Lord, Yahweh, towers over Job. Speaking to him out of the, the dark whirlwind and demanding that Job pull his big boy pants on and be prepared to answer him like a man. And then God almost literally walks Job through the entire universe and throws challenge after challenge at him. Were you there when this was made? Were you the one that did this? Can you do that? Are you able to? Will you challenge me? And when God is finally finished with Job, elevating himself to the point that Job literally retracts every question that he asks and repents himself in dust and ashes. For the first time in his life, Job is fully overwhelmed by just how great God is. And this is somebody we are told at the beginning was a blameless man. He was unaware as a blameless man just how extraordinarily great and supreme God is. And he realizes he knows next to nothing at all in comparison to the infinite mind of the Almighty. The riches of God's wisdom and knowledge are too deep for Job. God's judgments and ways are too high above him. He cannot know the mind of the Lord. He cannot be the counselor of God. There is nothing that he can give to the God which would require God to therefore pay him back. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To God be the glory forever and ever. Oh, my friends, when you consider the greatness of just how glorious God is and how supreme He is, go ahead and try to mind the depths of God's perfections. Just go ahead and spend an enormous amount of time Trying to comprehend just how excellent he is. I, seriously, I challenge you. Go. Go spend the rest of your life immersed in the precious truths of this book. Gazing intently upon the glorious mysteries of the eternal God. 
I'm telling you that if you do this, if you engage in this exercise, you will find that you have only just begun what will take all the rest of eternity to accomplish. And that is knowing just how great, just how supreme, just how superior our God truly is. And from then, this awareness that God is great, that great is the Lord, and that His greatness is unsearchable, there should then flow the highest of praise unto God. The supremacy of God over all things demands its appropriate response. And what is the appropriate response to the supremacy of God? It is that all things should offer unto Him their worship and praise. Jeremiah, as he is presenting for the people's consideration his satire on the idolatry of the heathens and then the foolishness of God's people in misplacing their affections and adoration on stupid, inanimate objects, declares this, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great. And great is your name and might. Who would not fear you? Or who would not worship and adore you? Indeed, Jeremiah says, it is your due. This is what is owed to God for how great he is. God is in every way first and supreme, so in every way he must have in all respects the supreme and highest regard among all that he has made. To God belongs the whole of our being and all of our affections. He is worthy of our praise. And we must praise Him in the highest way possible. I mean, here is David in the writing of this hymn. He's lived a lifetime under the supremacy of God, and he has seen the extraordinary benefits and blessings of being under his benevolent rule and care. And listen to how he describes what the worship of God should be. Go back to verse 1 again. He says, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. 
Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. So convinced is the psalmist of the greatness of God that the praise of God consumes him. His speech and his conversation is of nothing else than God. I mean, seriously, do you see the words used to describe how we should transmit our awe of God both back to him and then also to others that are around us about him? We are to be extolling him, blessing him, praising him, declaring him, speaking of him, telling of him, uttering about him. And yes, even what I'm doing right now, shouting about him. This requires full use of our verbal abilities in communicating just how splendid God is. I mean, creation is already doing this, right? That's what it says in Psalm 19. The heavens are declaring the glories of God and the firmament is showing forth his handiwork. Even the rocks are announced as capable of breaking forth into explosive praise if need be. But who is it that the Lord desires to praise him most and to praise him best? David tells us. Beginning with verse 8. The ones that should praise the Lord for his supremacy and greatness. Are those to whom the Lord has been gracious. And merciful. The ones to whom God in his patience has been slow to get angry with. And is great in his loving kindness toward them. The ones to whom the Lord has been good. And to whom his mercies have been over their entire lives. Verse 14, the ones who may have fallen. But the Lord sustains them. Ones who are bowed down but who the Lord has raised up. The ones who have eyes and who look to the Lord for food and to whom the Lord has opened His hand and provided in abundance all their daily needs. The one who has demonstrated that his ways are the right ways. The one to whom God has been kind in all of his deeds. The ones that should praise the Lord are those who have called upon him, who have called upon him in truth and found that he has been near to them. The ones who walk in the fear of the Lord and find that God fulfills the desires of their heart. The one who has cried to the Lord in their distress. 
And the Lord has saved them. The ones that praise the Lord with the highest of praise are those who love Him. And they love the Lord because He has given to them the assurance of eternal and everlasting security in Him. He preserves them. And yes, even the wicked whom he will destroy will spend all of eternity declaring that the Lord is great. And that should chill you. The primary occupation we are all to have in this life is that of extolling the Lord. As high and as great as He is, this is what our speech should aspire to measure up to. Every day, He says, continuously. No off days, folks. Every day that you wake up, You begin by laying upon your bed and you meditate, as David says, on his works. And you meditate on the acts of grace that you have experienced in your life that have come from him. And then the ruminations of your heart being so preoccupied by the supremacy and the glory of God will reach a boiling point within you. And it will then spill out almost spontaneously and naturally. And it will dominate the topics of our conversation and our discussions. When we stop and we pray to the Lord. Our prayer should be filled with the retelling back to him of just how great he is. Have you ever done that in your prayer? You don't ask for a thing. You just tell him how great and good he is. Our conversation should be so filled with the greatness of God that in our homes. The glorious truths of the greatness of God are transferred to our children and to the next generation. In our getting up, in our lying down, in our walking to and fro, in our sitting around the table and eating. I was supremely blessed a few weeks ago. We were sitting at the dinner table. My little son, Vinny, who just recently turned three, was excited to tell me that he had had the opportunity to go to, 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 to kids' church. We had been somewhere on a Sunday, and he was able to attend uh, the kids' church during the adult service. And so I asked him, well, what did you learn? And as only a toddler can say, he looked at me and he says, God of the Lord. I don't know what that means, but God of the Lord. Praise the Lord. I said, okay, what else did you learn? And then he said, as clearly as anybody has ever said, that he made the moon. And the stars. Praise the Lord. 
that at a young age, a three-year-old knows the supremacy of God. And that as he looks up into the sky and he sees the glory of the evening, he knows who put those stars there. He knows who put that moon there. It is God. And my, as we see our day and age spiraling into chaos, and men and women seek to elevate themselves as superior and supreme even to their own creator, how much do our children need to know the supremacy of God? That God made them. And then as we step out of our homes in our times of worship and corporate fellowship with the saints of God, submitting ourselves to the authority of His Word, to the headship of His glorious Son, and to the movings of His Holy Spirit among us, as we gather, we should talk to each other of the greatness of God. I'm going to be listening to you guys after we're done here tonight. Talk of Him. Talk of His glory. Then to our conversations as we move out into the world, moving among the lost, rubbing shoulders with those who are groping along in darkness and desperately needing the light of God's brilliant splendor to break forth in their life. My friends, lift up your voice in praise of our God. Give Him high and public praise. Give it to Him because of His Amazing works. Declare His mighty acts to the people that you come in contact with. Speak of His power. Tell of His greatness. Utter the memory of His abundant goodness. Shout. Shout joyfully of His blessed righteousness. Which has been given to you. In exchange for your filthy rags. That should make us shout. Do all of this in such a way that you might be heard. And if you do this, praise God. You might find that someone not even a part of your conversation will overhear it. They will overhear what you are saying. And it will be the means of grace that draws another soul into his eternal kingdom. One of the men that I admire the most and who has influenced me tremendously, not only in my Christian experience, but also in the ministry is a man by the name of John Bunyan. It is said of John Bunyan that if you pricked him, he bled Bible. In fact, if you read his great book, Pilgrim's Progress, what you will find is that the majority of all of the interaction and dialogue that takes place between all of those characters is almost verbatim, nothing but John quoting Scripture. It is remarkable how he takes obscure passages and he pulls it into everyday conversation. I think one of the reasons why 
in Pilgrim's Progress, there is so much conversation that occurs. is because that is the means of grace in John's life by which he was brought to salvation. He was. By his own account, a wicked man. He had an occupation of going house to house, selling his wares. And I want to read to you from his autobiography, Grace Abounding, what brought him to salvation. He says this. But upon a day, the good providence of God did cast me to Bedford to work on my occupation. And in one of the streets of that town, I came where there were three or four poor women sitting at the door in the sun, talking about the things of God. And being now willing to hear them discourse, I drew near to hear what they were saying. For I was a brisk talker also myself in the matters of religion. But now I may say, as I heard them, I did not understand. For they were far above, out of my reach. For their talk was about a new birth, the work of God on their hearts, how Also, they were convinced of their miserable state by nature. They talked how God had visited their souls with his love in the Lord Jesus and with what words and promises they had been refreshed, comforted and supported, even against the temptations of the devil. Moreover, they reasoned of the suggestions and the temptations of Satan in particular and told to each other by which they had been afflicted and how, though they were born up under his assaults. They also discoursed of their own wretchedness of heart, of their unbelief, and did contemn, slight, and abhor their own righteousness as filthy and insufficient to do them any good. And methought they spake as if joy did make them speak. They spake with such pleasantness of scripture and language and with such appearance of grace in all that they said that they were to me as if they had found a new world. Thus, therefore, when I had heard and considered what they said, I left them and went about my employment again. But their talk and discourse stayed with me. And also my heart was still with them. For I was greatly affected with their words, both because by them I was convinced that I wanted the true tokens of a truly godly man. And also because by them I was convinced of the happy And blessed condition of him that was such a one. He was literally brought to salvation in hearing women on the porch of their home. As he's walking down the street, hawking his wares. They were not talking about the miseries of wifehood and the drudgeries of motherhood. They were not talking about the the, the despair of the the neighborhood and all of the gossip that was going around. They were sitting there on the porch of their home and they were talking about the greatness of God and John overheard it. And the Lord used their conversation of high praise unto the Lord to bring another soul into his glorious kingdom. My friends, there are many still out there that need to know of this great God. They need to know of his glorious kingdom. They need to know that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, that this kingdom is unshakable, that this kingdom has a foundation. This kingdom has a builder. Who is God? 
And through your praise of God, you may be the evangelist that causes them to lift up their eyes to one who stands ready to give them entrance into that kingdom. Speak of the supremacy of God. Speak of the supremacy of our Lord. Speak of the supremacy of the Holy Spirit who alone does the work of conversion. My friends, great is the Lord. His supremacy is unmatched. So may our mouths speak the praise of the Lord. May we join all flesh as they bless his holy name forever and ever. Would you pray with me? Our Father, blessed are you. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, it is yours. And you have the dominion over it. And Lord, you have exalted your head, yourself as head over all things. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all and in your hand is power and might. Therefore, our God, we thank you. We praise your glorious name. Dear God, I pray that we would be a people marked by your greatness and your supremacy that we would indeed lift up our heads and rejoice because you are our king and that through the expressions of praise that we offer unto you both in private and in public that you would be pleased to inhabit those praises and to continue to do great and mighty things for your holy name's sake. We bless your name. We thank you for loving us and condescending to us in your Son, Jesus Christ, who, even though he existed in the form of God, did not regard himself. Did not regard it as something to be grasped, but emptied himself and he took on the form of a servant, even that of a bond slave. And becoming obedient, he even was obedient to the point of death. But because of this, you have highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to your glory. Thank you. 
for all things that we have received from your hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.